today as well as those watching online. We are one church in uh, two locations. Today I'm teaching from our Sugarloaf campus. Our Mill Creek campus is about 20 miles to our north, and so I want to encourage you to attend the campus that's uh, closest to you. Uh, many, many years ago, Teresa and I were at a seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and we were headed home for the Christmas holidays. We uh, pastored a little country church, and we uh, preached on Sunday night, and after Sunday night was uh, over, we packed our car up and we left. And we were on the freeway coming home south of Louisville, Kentucky, and we were on a stretch of the interstate where there really wasn't anything, and it was very late at night. There was really nobody much on the freeway. It was freezing cold, and the, the wind was really howling, and and um, everything was really kind of going okay. James was fast asleep, which is one reason why we did that. We drove through the night so he would sleep. And all of a sudden, the, the car stopped. I mean, it just literally just stopped. And I had to coast to a stop, and I, I pulled over on the side of the interstate. I found out later that the alternator had gone out, didn't know what was wrong at the time. But uh, we steered over, and we got stopped on the side of the road. And I mean, pretty quickly, I sized it up and realized that we were not at all in a very good situation. Now, obviously, this was way back before cell phones, so I didn't have that uh, available. It was a very dark patch of the interstate, hadn't seen anybody for miles. I didn't know how far the next exit was, and so, frankly, I was in a real dilemma. I, I didn't know whether I should leave Teresa and James and, and just get out and start walking, and hopefully the next exit wouldn't be too far up, and leave them alone in the car. Or I didn't know whether we should just stay in the car hoping that somebody might stop by and see that, that we were stranded and, and, and maybe stop by and help us. So it was about that time that I said something to Teresa that, frankly, no husband ever loves or wants to say to his wife because he's too proud. But I had to look at her, and I had to just simply tell her, Honey, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I don't know whether to go or to stay. I don't know whether to go because I don't know how far the exit is, and I don't want to leave you and James alone. On the other hand, we, we can't stay here forever if nobody stops because we could, you know, really freeze to death, and I don't know what to do. Well, she looked at me, and she said, well, I know what to do. And I said, what's that? She said, let's pray. And I said, that's all I know to do. We'll pray. And so we prayed, and we asked the Lord to, to meet our needs and, and just to give us wisdom on what to do. We had no sooner than got through praying than a car pulled, stopped and, and, and pulled over in front of us. There were two men in the car, and, and one of the men got out, and he came over. And I rolled my window down, and he asked what was wrong, and, and, and I told him. And he said, well, get in the car with us, and we'll be more than glad to you know, take you somewhere to get help. Now, I can't explain this and, and not, wouldn't even try, but there was something about that man I just didn't like, I didn't trust. And there was just something in me that just kept saying, do not get in the car with those two men. Now, unbeknownst to me, Teresa felt exactly the same thing. I didn't know it because we couldn't communicate that way. But I, I knew there was something saying, don't get in the car. Teresa felt the same way. But at the same time, I didn't know what to do. Nobody had stopped by for a while. I didn't know when anybody else might stop by. This was a ride. I thought, well, maybe this is just, you know, my imagination. And, and about that time, a tractor-trailer came by and stopped and pulled over in front of, the, of these other two men. And a man got out, and he came back, and he asked what was wrong. And I told him, he said, well, look, he said, my wife and I are, are actually carrying some cargo uh, uh, down to Nashville, and, and we've got room for you, and we'll be more than happy to take you to the next exit. Well, not only did I have, did I have an absolutely perfect piece that this was the ride that I ought to take, 
but it was even confirmed to me because when I said, well, thank you, sir, I'll, I'll accept your offer, that this other guy got angry and began to use very bad language and began to cuss me out and, and, and let me have it because I didn't trust him and wouldn't ride with him, which really just kind of affirmed, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to be with that guy anyway. He sounded like a deacon in a Baptist church I used to pastor. So I just said, I don't think I want to do that. Well, we actually waited until this guy drove off, and I found out to my relief that the next exit was only a half a mile up. It was just over the hill. So it wasn't a few minutes that we got to a service station. The guy took me back. I picked up Teresa and James. They got the car fixed, and we lived happily ever after. Now, you've been in that situation, I'm sure, where you, you felt totally helpless. You absolutely felt totally hopeless. You were absolutely clueless. You had absolutely, you, you, you did not know what to do. And, and if you have ever been, or if you are in that situation right now, it can be a very frightening experience. It's a very frustrating thing when you really don't know what to do. You've been there, stuck, no options. Mind is totally blank. The light's green, everybody's blowing their horn, but you don't know which way to go. We've all been there. And maybe you're in that place right now, or if you're not, trust me, one day you will be. I, I was with a man this week who's having to make a big decision in his life, and he literally does not know what to do. We've all been there. Do I leave this job for another job, or do I stay in the job that I've got? Do I change my major in this in, while I'm in college, or do I just stick with the major that I have? Do I stay in the relationship I, I'm in, or do I really need to get out of it? And I really don't know what to do. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more difficult than to either be in one of two situations. To either be in a situation where every option seems like the wrong option, and what can be just as frustrating is when you're in a situation where every option seems like a good option. And so either way, you're, you're in this position where you say, I don't know what to do. And when you're in that situation, you never feel like you're more alone. And you get this feeling, I've somehow got to figure this out all by myself. I'm all alone, and I have got to put this puzzle together by myself. Well, we're in a series that we're calling Let's Get Serious. And as you have already seen, it's kind of a play on words because there is a woman that I take with me everywhere I go when I carry my smartphone. Her name is Siri. Matter of fact, I got on the phone this morning uh, before I came to church and I asked her, what is the weather going to be like tomorrow? And she literally said this. She said, it's going to be bad where you are. I mean, it's just not going to be good. And you can ask her all kinds of things. You know, what's the, the best way to get to a certain restaurant or, or, or where's the next gas station, you know, up the road. And so we thought it would be kind of interesting to say, what if we could really ask this smartphone or ask Siri some really big questions? I mean, some really serious questions, some really big life questions like this question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, fortunately, there is a story in the Bible of a lady that had this problem. She was exactly in this situation. She had a big problem in her life, and she did not know what 
to do. So if you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to the Old Testament. I want you to turn to a book called 2 Kings. Now, you can figure that out. There's a book called 1 Kings, right? 2 Kings is right after 1 Kings. It's about, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 books into the Old Testament. I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, while you're turning there, let me just kind of set the story up. There was a, a single mom. Her husband had died, and she had uh, a couple of children. And she was facing one of the most difficult situations that anybody could face, especially a single mom, and she did not know what to do. She did not know where to turn. She was literally at the end of her rope, and it wasn't that she had a variety of options and didn't know which one to take. As far as she could tell, as far as she could see, she had no option. She had no choice. She had a blank slate. She did not know what to do. And in this extremely difficult situation, this woman learned one of the most valuable lessons you and I will ever learn about life and will ever learn the next time that you're in that situation where you literally don't know what to do. So let me help you out this morning. I know there's some of you right now, you're watching, you know, by live streaming or you're at our Mill Creek campus or you're here in our room with us here at our Sugarloaf campus and you're saying, man, do I need this? I can't sleep at night. I can't eat. I've got this big decision. I've got this big problem and I literally don't know what to do. Let me give you some good news. Don't panic. Don't worry. Take a deep breath. Relax. And remember this. When you don't know what to do, God does. When you don't know what to do, God does. And I want you to notice as we read this story that this woman took three steps that can always guide you when you don't know what to do. Now, I normally don't do this, but I'm going to strongly advise you to get out a pen and a sheet of paper or maybe just write some notes in your Bible. I'm going to strongly advise you to write down these three things and carry them with you because the next time you get into one of these situations, and you will, when you don't know what to do, when you want to do what you need to do, you just don't know what to do. If you'll write these three things down, I promise you, they will help you get to a place where you will know what to do. I, I want to tell you the first point by a story. I, there was a great Bible teacher. He's passed away. Passed away. Passed away really early, kind of tragically. He was a great Bible teacher. His name was Dr. Ron Dunn, and uh, Ron was a great Bible teacher. Had great insight into Scripture. Well, Ron was at a Bible conference one time, and he had got up and he'd been talking about the will of God, how to find the will of God, how to know the will of God, how to be guided by the Spirit of God, and then he opened it up for questions. Well. There was a lady that stood up right off the bat, and she asked Dr. Dunn this question. She said, Dr. Dunn, here's my question. You've been talking about how to find the will of God and how to be led by the Spirit of God and how to get where you need to go. And she asked this question. She said, okay. She said, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And he thought for a moment, and he gave this answer. And I want you to write this down because it was so good, okay? You ready? The first thing you ought to do when you don't know what to do is do what you know to do. First thing you do when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Now, let me tell you what I mean. We're going to pick up here in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. 
but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Now, this woman was obviously in big, big trouble. She was a single mom, and she was a widow. Now, what's even worse is this. It's not just that she had lost her husband. It's not just that now she was a single mom. What's really bad is she had been married to a ministerial student who had been in the seminary. That's why he's called a son of the prophet. See, even back in that day, you had what you had kind of, you might say, traveling seminaries. Prophets would gather men around them to train them up in the ministry. They were called sons of the prophets. It's kind of like a traveling seminary. Now, that is the clue that tells us she didn't have any money or she had very little money. Teresa and I can relate to this because, uh, you know, we spent seven years of our first married life, the first seven years of our marriage, we spent at the seminary. Now, when you go to seminary, there are three things you learn, and we learned them very well. First of all, nobody goes to seminary with a lot of money. That's the first lesson we learn, all right? Number two, you don't go to the seminary to learn how to make money. Number three, when you leave the seminary, you don't have any money, all right? Those are the three things we learned when we went to the seminary. I spent, listen, I spent seven years of my life at the seminary. Nobody ever came to our campus and filmed a, a version of the lifestyles and the rich and famous. Nobody ever showed up to do that, okay? You go without any money. You don't learn how to make money. You leave without any money. Well, this woman was married to a man that was training to be a preacher, and he dies. So this woman is obviously deep in debt. The wolves are howling at the door. People are lined up to collect their money. She's got a lot of outstanding bills. And remember now, we're, we're talking about a day where there was no life insurance. There was no 401k. There was no social security. There was no retirement plan. There was no welfare system. There was no safety net. She obviously already sold everything that she had. And back in that day, your family could be taken as collateral for a loan. Back in that day, if you had children and you owed money you could not pay back, by the law, somebody could come and they could take your children and make them their slaves to help pay off your loan. And so, and, and, and there was no such, no chapter 11, couldn't file bankruptcy. It was pay up or ship out. Now, let me just stop right here and say something. This is very crucial to this story. Never, unless you just have to, never, ever make a big decision in the heat of the moment. Don't ever make a decision on pure emotions. Unless you have to. Sometimes you just have to. But because but let me tell you something I've learned. Almost 100% of the time, snap decisions are bad decisions. Almost all the time, snap decisions are bad decisions. That's why one of the worst ways you can make a decision is purely emotionally. Let me give you an example. How many people have you known that got into a bad marriage because they married on the rebound? They were in a relationship and it went sour. Somebody broke it off. They're emotionally not really ready for another relationship, but they jump right into another relationship. They go from the frying pan into the fire and get into this relationship, and it doesn't work out either because they made this decision purely emotionally. I'll give you another example. How many people are in financial trouble today because of impulse buying? Americans last year, this blew me away. Americans last year spent $5 billion dollars on impulse buying. In other words, what I, they walked into a store, they weren't intending to buy a TV, but they bought it. 
They were intended, he walked into a used car lot, weren't intended to buy a car, but they bought it. And how many people are drowning in debt today and they've wrecked their finances because they heard something like this, 50% off today only. Or here's a good one, no money down. Or one of my favorites, 0% interest. And before they knew it, they've gone into debt and bought something they didn't even need. Just made a snap decision. Got to do it. Got to do it now. Got to have it now. Well, well, this mother was obviously a very godly woman because remember, when you don't know what to do, God does. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say that right now. Somebody turn, just say it right now. All right, keep that in mind. When you don't know what to do, God does. See, you're saying, Pastor, I don't know what to do in my situation. God does. God knows your problem. God, God, God knows the situation you face. God knows the confusion that you experience. And see, there's one thing you can always do when you don't know what to do. You know what that is? Wait on the Lord to show you what to do. Just wait on the Lord to show you what to do. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, I memorized this back when I was in the seminary. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is this verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. When you don't know where to turn, you can always turn to God. This verse tells me God's always looking. God's always watching. And every time God sees one of his children in confusion, and every time God sees one of us going, Lord, I don't know what to do. The Bible says God literally is running to us saying, I know what to do. I know when to do it. I know where to do it. I know how to do it. Just wait on me. And listen, how often do we make the big mistake when we don't know what to do of turning to everybody else except the one that knows what to do? It's an incredible thing to me how we'll do that. I, you know, I grew up in the country not too far from here, about 25 miles from here. I grew up out in the country. And, and I grew up some, close to, very, to some railroad tracks, about a quarter of a mile from my house, right down the road with the railroad tracks. And, and I can still remember my dad, we, we used to walk down, we used to take walks at night. We walked down the railroad tracks, we'd wait on the train to come. And I can still remember as a kid, my dad teaching me an old lesson. And, and, and it's only four words, you've heard them many times, but they sure are valuable in those times when you don't know what to do. You haven't probably heard this in a long time, but you remember this lesson? What is it? Stop, look, and listen. You know what? When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And one of the things you can always do is this. Stop. Look to your heavenly Father and listen. When you don't know what to do, you can always turn to your heavenly Father. You can always talk to your heavenly Father, and you can always trust your heavenly Father that at the right time, he will tell you what to do. Now, that just leads naturally to the second step. You do what you know to do. Step number two, you ask what you should do. When you don't know what to do, number one, do what you know to do. Number two, ask what you should do, all right? Let's go back and see what this woman did. We're back in verse one. 
Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditors come to take my two children to be his slaves. All right, let me stop and ask you a question. Elisha is a prophet, meaning he's not a rich man. He can't bail her out. He probably has no influence, can't go to the bank and get the money. And yet the Bible says the first person she turns to is Elisha. Why does she turn to Elisha? Because the Bible says he was a man of God. He was the representative of God. He was God's representative. And this is what I've learned in my own life. One of the ways that God will guide you when you don't know what to do, he will bring people into your life that do know what to do. I've seen it happen so many times. I don't know what to do. And then God says, well, you know what? I know what to do, and I'm going to send someone that will tell you that. Here's a, let me give you an illustration. Let me go back to my seminary days. I, I still remember back when I started the seminary, my first week of classes. You know, you don't know who to take. You don't know really what to take. You kind of get, you know, advised to do that. Well, um, I had the unbelievable misfortune. Now, you have to believe in the sovereignty of God or you'll lose your mind, right? But I had the unbelievable misfortune of doing some, of making a terrible decision. First of all, I took a class called Introduction to the Old Testament. Now, you had to take it. That wasn't the problem. First problem was it was a 4 o'clock afternoon class. Tuesday and Thursday, you met at 4 o'clock. Okay, that was first problem. Second problem, I got this professor who was not only extremely liberal, he not only really didn't believe anything in the Old Testament, the only thing good about this professor, and I won't call his name, he's dead now, the only thing that, that was good about him, he was an outstanding cure for insomnia. That was the only thing that was really good about the guy, okay? I mean, we're talking boring, okay? I mean, this guy was, matter of fact, I just got to thinking about him. I hadn't thought about him for a long time, and I got to thinking about him, and I just, I remember this poem I learned a long time ago that went like this. I haven't heard my pastor preach in such a long, long time. When he prays, he closes his eyes. When he preaches, he closes mine. And, and, and I thought about that because, I mean, this guy was just so boring. I mean, I thought the other day, it's a good thing he's not living today. It's a good thing he's not teaching today. He would be put in jail for torture. I mean, if, they, if you sent this guy to Gitmo, they'd give you all the information you want in about five minutes. Okay, this guy was terrible. But this professor on the first day of that class said something that radically changed my ministry. As a matter of fact, I'm not going too far to tell you that what he told the class that day, he made one statement, and it's probably one of the reasons why I'm standing in on, on this platform right now. It's probably one of the major reasons why any success I've had in my ministry that God has given me is probably one of the major reasons I have had it. Let me tell you what he did. He got up in class, and he was introducing himself, and then he said, how many of you are going to be pastors? And most of us raised our hand. And then he asked this question. He said, how many of you have a filing system? I didn't know what he was talking about. I never heard of a file. I only had five books in my library when I went there, and I'd only colored in one of them. And so, uh, you know, I'm, at, I'm here, and, and I don't know what a filing system is, right? So he says, how many of you have a filing system? We didn't know what it was. And so he said, look, every pastor ought to have a filing system where you can put things away that you might want to use in a sermon later because most of us don't have, you know, very good memories. And then he said something that I'll never forget, and it totally changed my entire ministry. Here's what he said. 
He said, the wise man is not the man who knows everything. He said, the wise man is the man who knows where to find it. I wrote that down. I know I can remember it like it happened yesterday. I remember going back to my little seminary apartment. Teresa had gotten home from work, and I told, my, I told her, she said, well, how was your first day of class? I said, well, pray for me. This 4 o'clock class is going to be brutal. I said, it's just it's terrible. I said, the guy's liberal, doesn't believe half of anything in the Old Testament. And I'm telling you, Teresa, he is the most boring thing you have ever heard in your life. I said, but he said something today that has radically changed my life. And I told her about this statement, and I said, I don't know what a filing system is, but I'm going to find out what it is. I'm going to find out how to do it, and I'm going to do that because I really think he's right. Well, I thought about that. And you see, likewise, the wise person, listen, the wise person is not the person that always knows what to do. That's not the wise person. The wise person is the person who may not know what to do, but he knows enough to go find someone that does know what to do. That is the wise person. You see, one of the ways that God will tell you what to do is to bring others into your life that do know what to do and can advise you on what to do. You know, one of my, uh, one of my favorite philosophers is Dirty Harry, otherwise known as Clint Eastwood. And Dirty Harry said something in, in, in one of his movies that's one of the best things I've ever heard. He said, a wise man knows his limitations. Well, I, I readily admit that some of the most important decisions I've ever made as a pastor, I didn't make by myself. I, I made it with wise counsel. I, I have made so many big decisions about things I really didn't know anything about, but I had enough sense to go to the people that really did know what to do and help me make that decision. For example, you th just think about some of the biggest decisions a pastor has to make. Um, in fact, we're living it right now. Real estate. You know, real estate. The only thing I know about real estate is it's real. That's all I know. I, I don't know anything about real estate. I'll just tell you, I don't know anything about real estate. We looked at this property, had 71 acres, 370,000 square feet of buildings. What are we going to do with it? I didn't know. Or take construction. We spent $14 million retrofitting these buildings. But the only construction experience I've ever had is Legos. I don't know anything about construction. And you've got easements and you've got codes and you've got right-of-way restrictions. You've got zoning requirements. It's all Greek to me. And yet every time we drive onto this campus, you're looking at decisions that I primarily either made or I primarily approved. And I did not know what to do. But I knew enough to find the people that did know what to do. And see, that's exactly what this woman does. And here's, here's what happened. Listen to verse 2. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, this is good for you. Listen, Elisha asked this woman two questions. You should always remember to ask yourself when you don't know what to do. Teresa does this all the time. It's really good. All right. When you don't know what to do, you might want to write these down. Always ask yourself two questions. Here's the question. What do you need? What is it I'm looking for? What is it that I, what's caused the problem? What do you need? Number two, what do you have? What, what do I need? What is it I'm trying to figure out? And what do I already have that may help me to make that decision? All right. This woman needed money. That's all she needed. What'd she have? Well, she had a jar of oil. Well, wait a minute. 
She thought it was just a jar of oil. What she didn't realize was she didn't have a jar of oil. She had an oil well. She just didn't know it. She just didn't realize it. She had underrated it. She had overlooked it. But she, what she didn't realize was, and this is something I want you to learn, God had already given her everything she needed. She just didn't know at first where it was. Number two, she didn't know what it was. And number three, she didn't really know where to find it. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So often we forget that we've got friends that will help us. Just If they'll just know what we need, they'll help us to meet that need. If we don't know what to do, we have made enough friends through the year that do know what to do that can help us discern what to do. That's Why, why do you think we go through our life building relationships? Why do you think we go through life making the connections that we make? You think it's just the luck of the draw? You think it's just because of, you know, it's kind of a serendipitous well, it just kind of happened that way? Absolutely not. The friends that you've made, the connections you've made, the, the, the relationships you've established, all those have been intentional by the Lord. God brought these people into your life so that at the right time, in the right way, that right person could come and say, hey, I can help you here. I know exactly what you need to do. That's why we get all these opportunities. That's why there are people in our lives we don't even realize. We may not even think about it. We may not even talk about them for years. How many times have you had this happen? You don't know what to do, and all of a sudden you think about, you know, I remember meeting this guy last year, and he's in this business, or he has this expertise. I bet you I could call him, and he would know what I need to do. You never know how these experiences, you never know how these relationships are going to work out. Let me give you a, a great illustration. One of, the, one, of the, one of the great highlights of my life was going to the Super Bowl. How many of you have ever been to the Super Bowl? Let's just see. How many of you out here? Raise your hand real high. Okay, good. Okay, good. I got, I got a couple of you here. That would, okay. I got to go to the Super Bowl. Let me tell you how it happened. In fact, back to, it's kind of, kind of cool. I, I read the other day, you know, we just had the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago. Do you know the cheapest ticket for the Super Bowl this year was 8000 bucks? 8000 bucks, right? Crazy. That's insane. $8,000. I got to go for free. Didn't cost me anything. Now, how it happened was really kind of pretty cool. If you're a Georgia football fan, which if you're not, you should be. If you get saved, you will be. But if you're a Georgia football fan, you'll remember the name David Green. David Green was a quarterback at the University of Georgia, played for four years. Well, the summer after David Green graduated, uh, I got to play golf with David. A friend of mine knew him, and, and, and we got to play golf. And uh, I, I rode in the cart with David, and, and, and th at the end of the round, I actually led David Green to pray to receive Christ. It's over here at Bears Best on the 18th hole. Show you right where it was. We stopped, and David Green prayed and, re and received Christ and asked Christ to come into his life. And, and, and then later on that summer, he signed to play football with the Seattle Seahawks. Well, a couple of years later, the Seattle Seahawks made it to the Super Bowl to play the Pittsburgh Steelers in Detroit, Michigan. Well, one of my best friends who goes to our church is a very, very big Steelers fan, and he had already gotten tickets to the Super Bowl. He was going with his family, and I was so excited he was going. Well, about two weeks before the Super Bowl, I'm in Reno, Nevada. I'm preaching. It's about 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, he didn't know I was in Reno, right? He, it, it was 7 o'clock here. I'm in Reno, Nevada. My phone rings at 4 o'clock in the morning, and it's this friend of mine. And I said, I'll just call him John. I said, John, what are you doing calling me at 4 o'clock in the morning? Because, again, he didn't know I was in Nevada. And he said, well, I just called to tell you that we're going to the Super Bowl. Well, I thought he's rubbing it in. I already knew he was going to the Super Bowl, you know, and I kind of get irritated. I said, Roger. You know, I call him Roger. His name is Roger. 
John Rogers' his name. Okay, look. I said, Roger. He wouldn't care if I said this. I said, look, I know you're going to the Super Bowl. Why are you telling me that? He said, no, 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 no. Pastor, we're going to the Super Bowl. I said, what do you mean we're going to the Super Bowl? Well, David Green's fiance had worked for Roger, and, and, and Roger knew David personally. David called him and, and said, hey, I've got an extra ticket to the Super Bowl. I want to give it to the doc. Okay, so he gave me the ticket to the Super Bowl. Now, what is the moral of the story? Moral of the story is real easy. Take every chance you get to share the gospel. It might take you to the Super Bowl, okay? You never know, right? Now, here's my point. Listen, here's my point. Did God, did that just kind of happen? Is that just coincidental? No. It's just another way that God illustrates when you don't know what to do, when you don't have what you need. I do, I've got it, and I may just bring someone into your life that does. And see, here's the thing. Don't ever underestimate what God's doing every day in your life. Don't ever underestimate this event that seems like it was not a big thing in your life. Don't ever underestimate that person you met that you thought was not a big deal in your life. Because what God is doing, God is stocking up in your life things that you may need, people that you may need someday to help you to know what to do when you don't know what to do. See, you may not think that you need that relationship today. That's all right. You might need it tomorrow. You may think, well, God can't use this today. Maybe he won't, but he can use it tomorrow. That's why we keep reading the story, and it begins to make sense. So look what we read down in verse 3. Then he said, he said, okay, you've got this flask of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought out the vessels to her. Now, I, I, let me just stop right here. I know that seems weird. I, I get that. I know that seems very strange. This woman's bankrupt. She's about to lose her kids. She's got a little jar of oil. And Elisha says to her, you see that jar of oil? Yeah, that represents all you need. What do you mean? He said, I want you to go out to your neighbors right now and get every empty, clean jar you can find. Now, let's just stop. Let's be honest. If somebody gave you that advice, you'd probably be looking for another friend, right? I mean, you say, excuse me. I don't think you understand the situation. I'm bankrupt. I owe this, these people all this money. They're about to take my kids, and you're telling me to go get jars? Is that, is that all you got? Is that the best you can give me? He said, go out and find every flask that you can. Now, I agree. On the surface, seems foolish, right? Seems dumb. And see, this is where we get into trouble. Because so often, we'll get in this situation where we just don't know what to do. But then we'll get so full of pride, and I've seen this happen so many times, that we just refuse to ask people what to do because we don't want them to know that we don't know what to do. Or when we do ask people what we ought to do and they tell us what to do, then we don't do it. In fact, let, let me help all of you who are parents, you, you'll understand this. This is why a lot of your kids don't listen to the advice you try to give them. See, 
Kids are just like adults in a way. They don't know what to do either. But they don't want you to know that they don't know what to do. So then when you tell them what to do, you get frustrated because they don't do it. Because to them, it seems dumb. It seems old-fashioned. It seems out of date. It seems too conservative. And by the way, how many of those of us who are now adults can look back on the times that we were kids and thought all the stuff that our parents tried to tell us wasn't so dumb after all? Right? So that, you know, so here's a woman. She doesn't know what to do. God brings someone into her life who does know what to do. He tells her what to do. And then she takes the most important step to helping her know what to do. You ready? Watch this. Obey what you need to do. Obey what you need to do. When you don't know what to do, do what you do know to do. Ask what you need to do and then uh, what you should do and then obey what you need to do. Now, remember, I've said it three or four times. When you don't know what to do, what? God does, right? When you don't know what to do, God does. When you don't know what to do, God does. And if you're in that situation right now, you say, I don't know what to do. Let me just give you some good news. You don't even realize this right now. God is working in your behalf right now. God's never off the clock. God never takes a vacation. God never goes to sleep. God's always working in your behalf. And this woman did exactly what Elisha told her to do. Even though it sounded strange, it sounded weird, it sounded dumb. And this is what I love about this woman. There was no debate, no discussion, no dispute, no disagreement, no deliberation. Deliberation. She's told, find the vessels, shut the door, pour the oil, fill the vessels. And when she did what she needed to do, God did what he said he would do. Now listen carefully. Because everything I've just said to you from the very beginning of this message will not work if you don't listen to this next statement. When you don't know what to do, God will show you what to do. But God will only show you what to do if you will do what he tells you to do. Did you hear me? When you don't know what to do, God does. When you don't know what to do, God will show you what to do, but he will only show you what to do if you are willing to do what he shows you to do. The greatest advice ever given to me in all of the Word of God that I've ever read, the greatest advice in all the Bible was given at a wedding in Canaan. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, looked at some servants and she made this one simple statement, do whatever he tells you. Great advice. Great advice to all of you. So let me just kind of help you. You say, boy, my finances are in a mess. I don't know how to handle them. I can solve your problem. Do whatever the Word of God tells you to do. Well, I, I'm in this relationship, and I don't know whether to get out of it or not. You know, I'm a believer. He's not a believer. I'm a believer. She's not a believer. Real easy. Can solve your problem. Do whatever God tells you to do. Well, I, I, I'm in this situation. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I enjoy it so much, and if it feels so good, and it feels so right, but I really don't know what to do. Easy answer. Do whatever God tells you to do. Now, let me let you in on a secret. When you get in those situations and you don't know what to do, let me just, secret, okay? 
So I, I do not know what to do. I can tell you two things are happening in your life right then. God is testing two things about you right then. He's testing your patience, and he's testing your obedience. He's testing your patience, and he is testing your obedience. When you don't know what to do, do nothing except what you know to do until God shows you what to do. Then, when God shows you what to do, as Nike says, just do it. Don't ask questions. Don't debate. No what if. But this might, when God tells you to do something, you just do it. Now, watch this. This is a big lesson. How does God test us? He tests us by our faith, right? That's how God tests us. Do you trust me or not? God tests us by our faith. But how does God measure us? He measures us by our obedience. Talk's cheap. He tests us by our faith. Do you trust me or not? Yes, Lord. All right, now I'm going to measure you by your obedience. Because listen to the conclusion of the story here in verse 6. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. Happy ending. The woman sells the oil, pays everybody off, has more than enough money. They go to Disney World, right? They live happily ever after. But there's something in the story I don't want you to miss. You saw it, so you tell me. Why did the woman run out of oil? Somebody tell me. Say it out loud. Yeah, she ran out of jars. The only reason she ran out of oil. Theoretically, if that lady could have kept finding jars, we, could, we would be buying tickets today to watch her fill that oil, those jars up with oil. The only reason she ran out of oil is she ran out of jars. There was no limit on the amount of the oil. The only limit was on the number of the vessels. Now, so what's the lesson? Did you know that we can limit God? Say, so, yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can limit God. God will allow us to limit him. We can put two limits on God. The faith that we're willing to place in him and the obedience we're willing to give him. Jesus goes to, goes to his own hometown. Remember this story? He goes to his own hometown. And the Bible says he could not do many miracles there. Why? Does anybody remember? Because of their unbelief. All these miracles Jesus had, but they didn't believe. You can limit God by the faith you put in him or by the obedience you give to him. See, the, the biggest, listen, listen, let me tell you this. The biggest problem I deal with in the lives of other people, the biggest problems I deal with, it's not people coming to me and saying, I don't know what to do. That's not the biggest problem I deal with. The biggest problem I deal with is this. 
the vast majority of people that come in to see me, can I, I've told you this before, they know what to do, they just don't do it. You know, you come in and you say, I, I got a problem. What's your problem? Well, every morning I get up and slap my wife. I don't know what to do. I can tell you what to do. Stop it. It's not hard. And I'm giving you an extreme example, but I'm telling you, so many people come into my office, they already know what to do. That's not the problem. They just want me to motivate them to do it. That's why being in a position where you don't know what to do is not only not a bad position to be in, it is actually a great position to be in. You know why? Because it's both an opportunity for God to show you what you do need to do, and it's also an opportunity for you to say to God, I trust you to show me what to do, and I'm going to do what you tell me to do, so thank you for giving me this opportunity to trust you and to obey you. Now, let me just close with this. I, you don't even realize how powerful the principle is I'm trying to teach you is this morning. Let me tell you how powerful this is. This, this principle I'm teaching you today is so powerful, it will actually determine where you spend eternity. I'm going I'm to prove it to you. So there's um, a person out there, and they're trying to find their way to God, but, but they don't know how. They're, they're, they're spiritually searching, but they, they don't know what to do. Now watch this. The moment, let's say, let's say you're that person. Let's just pretend you're that person. You're, you're on a spiritual journey, and, and, and you know you're not where you need to be, but you're not sure how to get to where you want to go. Matt, you may not even be sure where you need to go. And, and you really want a relationship with God. You just really don't know how. Now, watch this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth and died on a cross to pay for your sins, which is the reason why you're on this spiritual journey, which is the reason why you've got this empty void in your life, which is the reason why you don't have a relationship with God, but it's also the reason why you know deep in your heart you need one. So God sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take that sin away from you and to forgive you of all of your sins. And then he comes back from the dead. He's raised from the dead to prove he did exactly what he said he would do because he was exactly who he said that he was. All right, stop right there. Now you know exactly what you need to do. You need to trust that Jesus that died for you. You need to ask that Jesus to forgive you. You need to ask that Jesus to come into your life and take your life over. And you need to ask that Jesus to save you completely and forgive you and give you eternal life. And that's why there's so many people out there when they stand before God, they're going to say, well, I just didn't know what to do. God's going to say, oh, no, no, no. The moment you heard the gospel, you knew exactly what you should have done you just didn't do it see here's the thing when we don't know what to do with our sins and our faults and our failures God does he sends Jesus so that we could know how to be forgiven and then once we ask Christ to come into our life we get in those situations where we say well Lord I, I don't know what to do in this situation I don't know what's the right thing to do I don't know how to live in such a way that I'm always pleasing you God says well I, I know what to do that's why I gave you my word, so that you'll know exactly what you ought to do. So, when you don't know what to do, you surrender to the authority of God's Son. 
you listen to the guidance of God's word. You obey the leadership of God's spirit. And 100% of the time, you will know what to do. Because remember, when you don't know what to do, God does. Let's pray together.